Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Good morning, Mercy family. Come on. Hey, college students, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, our church family is now going to clap, welcoming you back from uh, all different quarters of the world where you've been. Hey, um, and listen, seriously, freshmen, this is not a dream. Your parents really did drop you off. You live here now. We are glad. Uh, welcome. Listen, what we're going to, you're going to hear us say a lot that community is so important because statistics tell us that you will become the average of the five closest friends you surround yourself with, all right? That's just the way it goes. You wanna see who you're gonna be in the future? Look at the five closest people you surround yourself with. So here, as you get started, it's true for all people at all times, but man, as you turn this page over, this new time in your life, this is why we have Mercy College Ministry to help you connect to some other believers, strengthen you in your faith, so that's who you will become in the future. So please get to know our college staff. They're all around today. Um, we hope you'll get to know them. All right, with that said, listen, today I'm, I'm pumped, y'all. We are looking at, it's not only one of my most favorite passages in all of Scripture, but it's what many consider to be one of the most important passages in the Bible. All Bibles, God's Word, yes, 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 okay? But this one's very significant because in just 10 verses, our author, the Apostle Paul, the guy that planted, started this church in Ephesus that he's writing this letter to now, in 10 verses, he announces the gospel message to us. We're going to call the sermon, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, how to get saved. How to get saved. All right. And I know the second I say saved, some of you squirm a little bit in your seat because you conjure up some image of an angry kind of round preacher in a tent somewhere. Okay. And he's yelling fire and brimstone at you and he throws the word saved out where he just uses all possible syllables, right? Saved, you know, I get it. And sadly, I even think about that sometimes too, but we got to give the imaginary made up stereotype in our head preacher a little bit of credit because saved really is the best way to describe what God does for us in Christ. And I was thinking about it, and we definitely used a tent during uh, the pandemic out in our driveway, which I think qualifies me as a tent preacher, so leave me alone, okay? That's what we're going to do. We're going to get into this. Um, Y'all, for years, I've used this passage sharing the gospel because of how clear it is about our human condition, just like, here's who we are. But then at the same time, how celebratory it is as it announces the hope available to us in Jesus. So I'm hopeful as we go through this today, some of you are going to get saved and we're going to celebrate with you. We say it all the time. We expect God to change our life today, today. Maybe that's you today. This passage breaks down pretty evenly about four parts. We're talking about sin, grace, faith, and works. And that is a good day in the church house. Okay. I'll explain it all. And I'm telling you though, if you're here and you're kind of exploring Christianity, man, you could not have picked a better weekend 
to be here. So we're just going to walk through the gospel message. In fact, every week I try to give you sort of a main idea of the, the message, the main idea of the text that we're looking at. Just kind of take it away with you. The main idea for today is really simple. God saves sinners through faith in Jesus. So what he does. So Paul's announcing God saves sinners through faith in Jesus. We'll start in verse one. We'll make our way through to verse 10. You guys ready? Yes, thank you. The rest of you, get ready. We are celebrating the gospel, so get ready. All right, you'll catch up. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Right out of the gate, Paul drops a pretty confrontational word on us, doesn't he? I want to consider some ideas about sin communicated here that our, the culture we live and work in and walk around in, modern day culture, I mean, vehemently denies, okay? And so we're just gonna look at the different words in verse one. Not every verse we're gonna look at everywhere, but verse one, we're gonna spend a minute at. He says, you, caps, underline, were dead in your trespasses and sin. Let's be real clear. It's not somebody else who is the problem today. Like the renowned cultural philosopher says, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, is me, okay? It's not the big scary world out there that's the problem. So the idea that you can Christian bubble yourself away from sin, that's crazy, because you're the problem. It's in you, it's in your kids. It's not other people, it's not other groups of people. If you're a conservative, liberals and their communism are not the problem, okay? And if you're a liberal, conservatives and their racism is not the problem, all right? Whatever you make it, and if, by the way, if that causes you to bristle up, stop watching so much cable news and open up your Bible, okay? You'll feel a lot better, I promise, all right? Look, women are not the problem, men are not the problem, old people are not the problem, young people are not the problem. You're the problem, all right? We're not talking about anybody else this morning. We're talking about you and your sin. You were, he says, dead, all caps underlined in your trespasses and sins. And this is big because people often think of sin just as actions they do. Like I lied, I cheated, I stole, I uh, whatever. And they think, here's what we think, man, I'm a good person just sometimes do bad things. That's a good person who sometimes does bad things. It's just not the case because your actions come from somewhere. They don't just happen. Some of you need to write this down, okay? Sin is not just our actions, though it is, it's also our condition. It's not just our actions, it's our very condition or nature, okay? We are dead, or excuse me, he says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Think of it this way. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That makes sense? That distinction is very, very important. So important in understanding the gospel. You're not a good person who needs improving, who just needs to just sin a little bit less. You are a dead person in need of saving. This condition's always been in us, right? Any, I love it. You'll, you'll have people that struggle with this idea until they have children. Then they have children, they're like, oh yeah, it's been with us since the start, okay? Because we think they're cute when they're little, but they're actually just helpless tyrants, okay? My sons are pretty close in age, three, uh, back when they were three and two, they're like right at 14 months apart, okay? So back when they were three and two, they would have like, you know how it goes, they'd have a ball, and one of them, the one who got the ball in the battle between the two brothers would look at the one who didn't have the ball and like stand his ground, scowl and go, mine, right? 
Even though he, he had, like, he didn't need to ask where he had the thing, mine, from his toes. That comes from somewhere. It didn't come from his environment that he was raised in, right? They didn't see, like, there's one cookie left on the counter that was baked, and Courtney and I going, Courtney grabbed it, mine. You know what I mean? That's not how we interacted with each other or anyone else. No, the way um, uh, Tim Keller used to say, and he was paraphrasing St. Augustine, he said, the only reason parents believe their infant children are cute is because they're helpless. If your six-month-old could do what he wants to do when you took his toy away, he would decapitate you mercilessly immediately. That's what would really happen. And you're like, yeah, but I know there's good in people. And then you start to think of some real things. Like, what about the wife who faithfully cares for her husband as he battles Alzheimer's to his death? but she's not a Christian. You're going to say she's a dead sinner? We're the couple who fosters 40 kids over 10 years, sacrificing themselves time and again, but they're atheists. You're going to say they're dead sinners? Here's what I'll say. I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong. I'm saying you right now are drastically underestimating the severity of sin. The way my old pastor used to describe it to me really helped me through this passage, kind of unlock a good understanding of the gospel. And he used to say, Imagine there are two terrorists that are about to bomb a school. But before they go to do this, they're going to have lunch. And one terrorist offers half of his lunch to the other one who doesn't have any food. And you would, you would say, well, is that a generous act? Yes, it is a generous act offering that, I guess. But his broader plan renders the good deed pretty insignificant. Imagine for a second how holy God is. He's so holy. Isaiah 64 says that even our best deeds are like filthy rags because he is so holy. Our sinful defiance of his rule and reign renders even our best deeds as insignificant as filthy rags in his presence. Y'all, we're not bad people needing repair. We are dead people needing resurrection. We were not drowning in need of someone to throw us a life raft. We were dead Jesus didn't come to help you, improve you, or fix you. He came to resurrect your dead soul. He came to save you. All right. Everybody feeling good? It gets worse. All right. There's one where we didn't focus on yet. Keep it in the back of your mind because it is going to get worse. But everything he said right there, he used past tense language. So for the Christians in the room, you should like, keep some hope in there. You were that way. You were that way. Okay. We'll come back to that in verse four. Actually, he'll still use some past tense in verse two. Here we go. Back to the bad news. Verse two, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to, underline this, the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Who's the ruler of the power of the air? That's Satan. And yes, Paul is saying, not only were you a dead sinner, not just by your action, but by your very nature, you were in fact a follower of Satan which when you think about it for a second, let the shot kind of wear off, think about it for a second, kind of makes sense. Satan was the one who sought to overthrow God and rule in his place, his way. We do the same thing. Just like Satan, we reject God's authority over us and we stand in defiance against his right over our lives. We're in charge, not him. This was all of us. What did it look like? Verse three. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. What does that mean, carrying out the inclinations of flesh and thoughts? Well, first you have to understand we were meant to carry out something. We were meant to carry out God's commands. He created mankind to 
follow him. He gave us instructions so that we would flourish as we followed him. But instead, we didn't choose to follow him. We chose to do what Disney has told us to do. And we followed our hearts, right? Because we thought following our hearts, because that is true freedom when we follow our hearts. It turns out though, just doing whatever, whatever feels right in the moment is actually quite terrible and destructive for us. And not only does it lead to destructive earthly outcomes, it also lands us in a terrible eternal position, walking according to our own authority and rejecting God's authority places us squarely in Satan's camp. In fact, he says, we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. That's who we are apart from Christ. Dead, sinful, Satan followers of our own making cut off from God because of our sin. And look, unless you think I'm talking just to you, he finishes there saying, as the others were also. This is the human condition. I know I said we're talking about your sin because I don't want you to pawn that off on somebody else, but the great news for you is that this is everyone's condition. And everyone has the opportunity to experience what he's about to say. Verses one through three articulates our sin problem. If you're like, man, I want to outline this passage. That's verses one through three. It's telling you our sin problem. Now, if you've made it down here with me into the pit of sin, good news. Really good news. If you are aware of your sin, and if you agree, you need saving from it. I got good news. The opening of verse four is the most beautiful and important conjunction in all of scripture. You were by nature children under wrath as others were also. Once you under, understand that, you're ready for verses four through seven. Verses four through seven announce the simple news. We are saved by God's grace. Look at verse four. But God. You're everything you were, dead in your sin, children of wrath, following Satan, deserving eternal separation from God for your rebellion against him. But that's the scriptures don't end in Ephesians 2, 3 is not the last verse in scripture. What comes next? But God, who is rich in mercy, because he can't even get out what God does yet because he's too busy just pouring out who he is. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. This is the greatest news in the world. When you're dead in your sin, bound for eternity apart from God, when you have made a mess of yourself, but God. Every single Christian in here today, every single Christian has that exact same story. If you had to boil down the hope, we Christians walk in day in, day out. Here it is, but God. Every single one of us was heading in one direction. We were lost, but God. Some of us were addicted to porn for years, but God. Some of us were living in shame and in darkness, thinking that what we did would forever define us, but God. Statistics tell me plenty of y'all in here have had an abortion and others have encouraged someone else close to you to have an abortion. You feel the full weight of that now. And what I want you to hear is yes, your sin was deep. It's awful. Listen to the word of God though, but God, there are people around you right here who have been where you are and yet they have joy today. Not because of their strength, not because they finally cleaned themselves up, but because of the great love of God that he had for them and that he has for you. 
And that great love of God, the greater love of God is richly poured out on cheaters and addicts and criminals and all other manner of sinner that now sits together in this room and at Northeast and at Union County as brothers and sisters in Christ. Praise God. And do you know why he did it? Or should say how? Verse five, he made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. He made us alive. When we were dead, God stepped in and saved us. You're saved by grace. Is that you? Is that what you walked in to celebrate today, Christian? Did you walk in to go through the motions or did you walk in to celebrate that though you were dead and you were trespasses and sins, you, God, I'm not gonna bring somebody up here to give a testimony, the one person that God saved. How about instead we think just for a second about our church here and say every single Christian is that your story. Did you walk in here and say, yes, I had nothing, but God saved me. That's my story. Is that your story today? Man, I, when we sing these songs that we sing, we're not doing it for, because we're like, well, you know, we need something to do. And instead of stretching before the sermon, we're going to do some songs. I don't know what you think we're doing. But we are praising our God who saved us. And all the songs and the sermons and things we do here is the church coming together and saying, hallelujah, I'm saved by grace. That's us. Look what else he says, Ephesians 2.6. He raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. The good news is getting gooder. What Paul is saying is because we're united with Christ, we're united with him in new life. He got out of the grave. You can catch this. See, Christ went into the grave. He went in our grave, the grave that was for me. He went in. <laughs> I was supposed to, but he went in. And if I am uniting myself and saying, yes, okay, I agree that Christ went in the grave on my behalf. I'm with him there. If I'm with him there, then I'm with him when he comes out of the grave. And his new life means my new life. But he wasn't just raised from the grave. He was raised again, seated at the right hand of God. Remember we talked about last week, Paul saying this is our future situation. And our future is so certain, he's talking about it in the past tense. Like it's already taken place. It has already been secured. We're just not yet sitting there. I don't know, think about this way. Um, I went to... Uh, get my license renewed the other day. My son got his permit, got my license renewed. We were at the DMV for seven hours. It was off, okay? But we, patience pays. I guess that's what I'll say. So what the, she told me though, when I got done with my little thing, and she said, okay, your license is renewed. And I was like, may I have it? And she said, no. I was like, well, what? And she said, it'll be there in 60 days at your house. It has to be mailed to you. And I was like, oh, but it is renewed. Yes, it is renewed. In fact, I'll give you this little sheet of paper that it's like a paper version of it, but you'll get it eventually. But don't worry, you are renewed. Your license is renewed, you just haven't gotten it yet. That's what Paul's saying here. He has seated us, it's for sure. It's guaranteed. In fact, Ephesians 1.14 said, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's secure, you're just not sitting there yet. Wow. Positionally, you and I, if we are in Christ, are citizens of eternal glory. Why in the world will God do that for us? That's verse seven. So that, here's your reason. Here's your reason, Christian. So that, 
in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Oh, you know why God saved you? You were that messed up child of wrath, Satan follower. Why in the world would God save you? God save me. To be trophies of his grace to others. The riches of his grace are immeasurable and they are on display here in the church for all to see for all time. Like people in this age are to somehow see because it's on display in us, they are to see the grace of God. I heard this um, last night. I was hanging out with some friends. They're like, man, we were praying for this couple, you know, like 15 years ago. And he was the guy that, you know, just was, I mean, very against religion of any kind, that sort of thing. And we prayed and we had some people praying, believing that God was going to save him and God was going to save her. And then we kind of like, we moved to different cities or whatever. And we ran into them. I think it was back here in Charlotte, uh, you know, just recently. And he is a totally different guy because two years ago, God saved him. And he looks different, acts different. Everything about him is different. Of course it is. You know why? Because God is displaying the immeasurable riches of his grace in him for others to see. That's you guys, that's me. A bunch of messed up sinners from all walks of life, standing together, redeemed and full of hope and joy and purpose. Greater than any job, any Ivy League education, anything else could ever give. Why? So that God might get glory in this age and in the one to come. That gives me such hope for the church. Like he's just gonna keep displaying his grace in Jesus through his church. He's got all us who have believed, but then there are stories he has not written yet. I should say, there are stories he has written and we're just not seeing it yet. There are gonna be more trophies of grace. Somewhere at UNC Charlotte, somewhere at Queens, somewhere at Wingate, somewhere at Butler High or Providence or Audrey Kell or East Mech, South Mech, Myers Park, there's a young man, a young woman running hard after their sin. But God, I'm telling you, man, God's coming for them. What did Spurgeon used to call the Lord, the hound of heaven? He's coming for his people. He's not out of mercy. He's got more of it. He's got all you need of it and more. And he's calling you today and he's calling your friend tomorrow. And it's because he loves you. And he wants the world to see how gracious he is by what he does in your life. And in the coming ages means not just in our lifetime, but all time to come all the way until we're gathered in eternity with him. Even in that end of all things, we'll be there so that other saints and the angels themselves will marvel at the grace of God when they look at us. Like some of y'all, it's going to be great. This is me just, you know, this is written nowhere. This is me just imagining it. But there's some of us who are going to walk up and we're going to see some people. We're going to be like, you made it? Wow. You know, immeasurable riches of the grace of God. That's what it's going to be. And they're going to look at you. I can't believe you made it either. Praise God. Let's go. Man, he's so good. So awesome to consider. Our sin's our problem, yet we're saved by God's grace because of his rich love that he has for us. Leads us to verses eight and nine, how he saves. For you are saved by grace through faith. Unless you were worried about trying to conjure this up, muster up, this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace through faith. And even our faith is a gift. Even faith 
it's a gift from God, not a work. Because we're really good in the church sometimes making faith out to be a work. Because man, maybe this is something that's within my control, but even our faith is God's gift to us. So let's make sure we understand our, the relationship between God's grace and our faith. Verses eight and nine is saying, if we're in our outline, we receive salvation from sin by grace, but through faith. And maybe this will help since it's, you know, blazing hot right now in the summer. Use a refreshing example. How many of you have um, water skied before? Show of hands, all our camps is having you water skied before. Okay, I never have. So um, you will understand this and the rest of us just watch hilarious videos about your fails, okay? Um, but I have gone tubing and tubing is pretty fun. Tubing, you just sit on the inflatable thing and just pulls you all over the leg, but back to water skiing. You gotta be, when you're water skiing, you gotta be pulled behind the boat at a fast enough speed that it gets you up off the, you know, off your butt and actually up and ski, right? Well, here's the question. When you're water skiing, what is it that's pulling you? Is it the rope or is it the boat? Well, the rope you're holding on to is the, the instrumental cause. It's the instrument of your speed, but the rope has no power on its own. Like if you were to bring that rope up here on stage right now, I ought to grab hold of it. I'm not getting tugged off stage or anything like that, right? It's just a rope. The rope transfers the power of the boat to you. The real reason you're moving forward is the boat. So same way, it's by grace through faith that you're saved. God's grace, God's saving power, that's the boat. The reason you're saved, God's grace makes you a Christian. But it is through faith that you're saved. Faith is the rope, the instrument through which you experience the saving grace of God. And the great news is even the rope, even faith is a gift from God. Because I know some of you wish like, I just wish I had strong faith. Maybe there are men and women you look up to, like, I wish I had faith like them, but I just don't. And it's probably not intentional. What's happening there is you're seeing faith as a work. When those very same people that you look up to, here's what they'll tell you. It's not me. All I've been doing is holding on to this rope a little bit longer than you have. Here, you should hold on to it too. Because it's all the strength of God through faith. And my prayer, our prayer for you today is that you'll grab onto the rope. You don't need to clean yourself up. That'd be a work. You don't need to go and make amends with everybody before you grab onto the rope. That'd be a work. Listen to me. We don't work for our salvation. We work from it. That revolutionized me, man, because I'm a firstborn, type A, driven guy. I got to earn anything given to me. I want to work for it. I believe in a strong work ethic, et cetera. And that wrecked me. That I, even this, all my works would be what? They'd be nothing but filthy rags. I don't work for my salvation. I work from it. Some of you just need to grab onto the rope today. That's step one, receiving the gift of salvation God offers for you in Christ. You're a sinner. You cannot save yourself, but you can be saved. The tense is so important. You can't save. You can't do the saving, but you can be saved by believing that though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, verses one through three, but God, he stepped in and he sent his son Jesus to the cross to die that sinner's death, the traitor's death, the death you and I deserved. He went to the cross. That was him paying the debt we owed. His death was God's grace. That's the boat going, the power of God. What we read today is that we saw God raise him up. Meaning we're not just saved from death, but we're given new life. Not just new life here. We do get new life here. We get the power of God here. You go back to last week as we talked about resurrection power alive and working in this life. 
but we also have eternal life that he has already positionally seated us in. He just calls us to receive it. We receive it. And then after salvation, not before it, after all of this comes Ephesians 2.10. The order is very important. Look now, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Works are the fruit of faith. For good works, which God prepared ahead of time. You know, already planned it out for us to do. God calls you his workmanship. Yeah, I'm not great working with my hands. Uh, I'm aspiring because I love the smell and sounds of a good wood shop. You know what I mean? Like sawdust, that's nature's glitter. And I love it. Okay, I love the smell and everything else of it. Um, got some buddies that are really good here in the church. There's a handful of guys are just really good working with their hands. They create incredible stuff. It's awesome to see them do it. And I look at this, I'm like, man, God is the master craftsman. And he's saying he created you the master craftsman. This is not like you were just made in a factory and we just spitting out lots of humans. No, one of a kind, God created you in Christ Jesus for good works. Before the beginning of time, covered that first two weeks of the series, chapter one, before the beginning of time, he created you for good works and how awesome God is. Everything he has set in motion in your life to this very moment has been for you to now carry out those good works. What I'm trying to get you to see is your life up to this point is not an accident. God made you, God redeemed you in Christ. You're gonna go out into the world with purpose. People run their whole lives trying to find purpose. And here he has given it to you to display his grace as you do what he made you to do. I feel like this should cause us to have a couple of outlooks on life, like redeemed outlooks on life. Gospel outlooks on life. Look, if I'm God's workmanship, then I'm really hopeful about my own future. He's not a bad craftsman. He's a master craftsman. You have infinite value and worth. Not only that, he's made you to display his glory in a unique way that only you can. So your question you're asking is to God. This is a question for you to ask this week. It's a question for you to answer with some friends around you who know the Lord and follow him. God, how do you want to get glory in my life? How do you want to get glory in my life? That's going to be what guides me where I need to go. That's the big question for career choices, not how can I make the most money? It won't satisfy you. You were not created and crafted by the master craftsman to make a lot of money. So if you give your whole life to that, you will be unsatisfied and you might cause a lot of destruction. I'm not saying that growing wealth is bad, I'm saying you weren't created for growing wealth here in this world. You were created to bring glory to God. That's the fundamental question. Otherwise, if that were the, if you were created to make a lot of money, the more money you made, the happier you would be. What did Christopher Wallace tell us a long time ago? More money, more problems, right? You don't get happier. How many stories do we need to see before we still stop trying to, stop trying to follow it? But you were created for good works though. Whole life ahead of you. Where God has created you to display his glory in one of a kind awesome ways. Some of you are gonna go to the top of your field. And as you go, give God glory so that those around you know his grace. Nothing else matters at the end of their life or the end of yours. Some of you are gonna be called into something way harder than going to the top of your field. 
you're gonna be called into your home as a stay-at-home mom. Hardest job on earth. Think about my wife and the years she spent where she was called mom way more than she was called Courtney. And if you think money earning equals good work, then you'd stub your nose at a stay-at-home mom. But if you think bringing God glory as your creative purpose, as your good work, you see real quick, a stay-at-home mom is an eternity-changing, God-glorifying work. So whether you win NBA championship trophies or mom of the year mugs, do it all for the glory of God. That's what we're doing it for. And you're going to find deeper fulfillment than you will in anything else. And when you age out of sports or your kids leave home, you're not going to have an identity crisis because your identity was always just in giving God glory, whatever you do, instead of in the product of your hands. Here's a, the last one. I'll say the second one. When it comes to like outlook on life, Ephesians 2.10 kind of outlook, if we're God's workmanship, man, I'm hopeful for the lost around me. Great news of the gospel. God saves sinners, right? What you've heard today is that you are not the savior. So the burden's off of you. In Christ, what are you? A wonderful display, a trophy of God's grace. So take some peace in that. Take a lot of confidence that God has not done saving people. The lost people who's God, who God is going to save and they're all around. What's your role? Your role in all that, just tell them what God's done. Tell them what God's done to you. And if you understand the gospel, not what you're saved, <laughs> the gospel, if you understand it, man, look what God has saved me from. If you really get your head around that, how could you not share it? How can we not, our college ministry has a goal to share the gospel 4,000 times the first 10 days of, um, of school this year. They don't have a goal to save people. They can't. That's not for them to do. But they can tell people about the God who saved them from what they were, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Y'all, I'll tell you, we got a um, guy in our church, some of y'all know his name's Todd, uh, Todd Way, um, a couple years ago. And he, you know, he and I have been talking about this, working through this, gave me permission to share the story with you. A couple years ago, Todd um, was working out in the gym and um, he said, man, I felt like the Lord told me to go over and talk to this guy, Ben, and tell him about Jesus. And Todd, would be, Todd said, that doesn't happen to me. Like, I, I don't hear that kind of thing from the Lord. And in fact, I was a little nervous about it. Um, he said, I was so nervous about it because Ben was this weightlifter, kind of had this frowny face all the time in the gym, even when he wasn't pumping out a new personal best or whatever, um, but was a personable guy and everything. And Todd was nervous. So Todd spent 20 minutes in the locker room trying to avoid having to do it, hoping that Ben would leave, right? Um, comes out of the locker room and there Ben is like directly in his path. All right, fine. So he goes up, talks to him. He's like, hey man, do you know anything about Jesus? And this is the first time he's met him. This is strangers. And Ben's like, well, I know about Christmas. Does that count? You know, kind of thing. Um, Todd's like, well, can we get together? They get together for breakfast. Todd offers him a Bible and Ben pushes it back across the table saying, that's not for people like me. Saying my life is too messed up, too far gone. Both Todd and Ben are about like, young grandparent kind of age. I just, I've just done too much. I've messed up too much. Well, man, Todd just kind of keeps following the Lord here. They started having breakfast together every week. I mean, like clockwork. In fact, I went and had breakfast with them once. The waitress took my order, not theirs, because she already knew what they were having. Like it's the same thing all the time they go and they would read God's word together. Todd invites Ben to church. Ben starts coming to 
mercy. And he started coming every single week, whether Todd was in town or not. There have been was about four rows back. Every single time I got to have, again, having breakfast with them, got to share the gospel with them. Todd shared the gospel with them tons of times. He started coming around community group, everything else. And I, I would love to tell you that Ben's story ends in, man, we baptized him. He made amends in all his relationships. I will tell you that people in his life started seeing different things and he did start that road of following Jesus, but never made that public profession of faith, man. It was still kind of like in the middle of it. And story takes a really hard turn for me. Two weeks ago, I get a text after preaching, or I guess three weeks, Ephesians 1, the first part of the series about the sovereignty of God, the grace of God. And in between services, one of our elders comes up and tells me that Ben has fallen down the stairs in his house and died. That was really hard. Because, man, Todd, I, I know, we both had this like, man, I know what's going to happen. I know the end of the story. Got it all written out. I don't know the end of the story. That was a great reminder for me and for you as well. But I know that Todd believed he was a trophy of grace. And so he believed that Ben could be a trophy of grace. I know Ben started experiencing and heard the gospel time and time again. And what I know, what Todd, he told me, he said, man, all I know is two years ago, God already knew the end of the story. And so he dropped a Christian into Ben's life and even had to kick that Christian a little bit because he was scared, but dropped him into Ben's life so he could hear the gospel time and again and experience the grace of God through the church. And we are hopeful. We don't know. It's between the Lord and Ben what happened to Ben. And I say that not to incite some sort of uh, fear in you. I do hope that it sobers you to respond to the message of grace today. But I share that because that's, that's like our church this past month. This is very real life. We're not playing games here. We're not going through the motion. We're talking about life and death and eternity. And some of you have been trifling with God and you've been saying, I'll put this off till later. And you need to respond to the incredible message of God's grace. Some of you think you're so messed up, like Ben, you think you're so messed up. Man, I'm just gonna have to clean myself up before I could ever be allowed in here. No, we work from our salvation. Our whole story, everybody in here is, but God, but God. And I wanna invite you to receive the salvation God offers you in Christ today. Don't do anything else, just receive it. And I wanna invite some of you Christians to begin praying and sharing the gospel with those people that just like the Lord was tapping on Todd's heart, tapping on yours. And let's just see what God, what God might do through a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Let's pray together. I want everybody to get into a posture of prayer. Union County, Northeast, Providence Road, I don't give you a chance. If you're a Christian, I want you to pray. Commit your friend. Commit even just yourself to, Lord, you lead me. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. If you've got someone that you want me to tell what you did in my life, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing, Father. Lord, I actually have someone on my heart that I want you to save. And I'm begging you, Lord, would you save this person? Use me if you will. I just want them to know you like I know you. 
And if you're not a Christian, I invite you to receive salvation today. Simple. It's not something we can do. Only God saves. All we do is we grab the rope. We do that by saying, you pray right here. Your own heart and mind. God, I believe I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe it. So I receive his payment for my sin. I receive this forgiveness. It's hard for me to believe. It is, but I'm grabbing the rope and we'll figure out the rest as we go. I believe he rose again. I'm receiving that new life. I'm yours. Take me, Father, wherever you lead. I'm going. Thank you, God, for saving me. Here at Providence Road, there at Northeast Union County, if you prayed that, I just want to invite you so that our pastors can have a conversation with you and can pray over you. Well, everybody else, heads are bowed. They're responding to the Lord, maybe even praying for you. Man, if you would just raise your hand up high enough that our pastors can pray for you. We want to take that step and invite you to take your next step. Lord, thank you for your grace in our lives. Give us the confidence that comes from seeing what uh, you have done in us. That kind of confidence. It's just marveling at the grace you've done in our lives. Give us that kind of confidence as we go to share the gospel with others. Thank you for the hope of salvation, for what that does in me, the hope that gives me for those I know that need you. We praise you as sinners saved by grace. In Jesus' powerful resurrected name, amen.